So good, like so good. Lila, you went to yoga. Have you tried it? Uh, once when I was much younger and I got sore in places that I wasn't even aware of and never went back. It's, uh, it's not, was not for me. You know, I was, uh, when I, I did a quiz the other week and apparently yoga was only done by men until 1930s. <laughs> so uh, the men That's were only you, doing it. Hmm. I, I mean, you look at some of the, silly is the wrong word. If you look at some of the very early 20th century, you know, physical culture, it was not, it was out there. I mean, compared to what we do today, right? A lot of very strange ideas. I'm sure that was part of it, right? Look at the early early 20th century American physical culture, and they did gymnastics. I'm sure they did stretching. They did, you know, club bells, all kinds of stretch. I, I was actually, this was, oh my gosh, 20 years ago, there's a small gym in uh, Oregon, one of the, the Northwestern states. And they had, like, you know, y'all have seen in, in like movies and stuff, like the, the, the weight stack behind you and, and the guy's kind of doing this. Yeah. It's like an old 1950s exercise and they had them. I'm just like, how, how old? Of course, the same gym had a linoleum aerobics floor, like the kind we had in the 80s when we didn't know any better. It had a women's yeah. only gym. And it, it was amazing. And y'all, y'all remember that thing they used to, this little rotating drum with little ridges that women would sit on to supposedly help with your, with their cellulite? Like 40s and 50s. Gym <laughs> still had, I was just... I was mind blown. Um, back so time. yeah, I'm not surprised that yoga was very much a, um, I mean, in the same way, all, all of that stuff was male dominated in the early 20th century. So that doesn't, that doesn't stun me. I'd say now it's predominantly women. Men hate to stretch because we're no good at it and it's no <laughs> fun. Like women are, women are more flexible than men and love stretching. Men are just all men hate stretch because some guys have tried there's like some yoga for men type of programs <laughs> out there yeah. men just want to get big well who's it yeah pretty much being muscle bound is the goal for him <laughs> yeah being not even being able to move exactly. absolute rock when you go now one two three four um well there's a, there's more that's meant to join but i think we can um we can get started, but Lyle, do you have any questions for them first? You want to know and like, uh, well, I, I've got one actually, like how many of you got diagnosed with PCOS? Like recently, like was it a hard battle to, or did they find out quite fast? Mine was quite fast when I finally found out the way, the way they told me and presented to me was a bit like wow they just pushed a bit of paper across the doctor's table and said I mean you're probably never going to have kids so read this <laughs> and sent me out wow <laughs> um which actually turned out not to be true because I now have a six-year-old but anyway um yeah but I was told or diagnosed when I was about 28 so yeah okay damn what is yeah, that yeah. What a way to present that. I know. I was a bit like, oh, okay, thanks for that. Yeah. That's wild. What's the, so they, they te- them telling you can't get kids like extreme. Like, what is the I know it does reduce the chances, is it does it of having a kid? Is that true? Very um, much so. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, it was yeah, they just said that we would need to most likely have IVF 
Mm. or which thankfully we didn't but we did need, need to use like an interim which is they, they call in assisted conception which sounds horrific it's not like someone <laughs> there helping you just to be clear right. uh, <laughs> but it's it job, becomes yeah. a little bit more medical and a little bit more um intervention based I guess. Mm. yeah what i was going to say one of the um clinical diagnostics for PCOS, there's three. Uh, one is obviously cysts on the ovaries, which actually don't have to be present. Um, elevated androgen levels, testosterone, either by blood test or clinic, like visual determination, usually it's you know, acne, increased body hair, oily skin are kind of the classics. But uh, menstrual cycle dysfunction is one of the diagnostic criteria, either um, a long cycle, longer than 35 days, or usually there's anovulation, the eggs not being produced. So infertility is, is uh, a huge, hugely common. Um, one, one sort of mind blowing statistic I've come across is of the women going to fertility clinics for, for anovulation, 80% have PCOS. Like it is the single most common reproductive disorder in that regard. Um, so, so yeah, for them, like, <laughs> I, I think they could have presented it a little bit more tactfully, <laughs> um, maybe just, just a little, um, but yeah, so that's, that's extremely common. And I think that is one of the, the many things that PCOS women, um, are seeking treatment for. If they want to have children, that's going to really make it a lot more difficult. Mm. Yeah. And Lyle, why don't you introduce what What's your idea? What is the, the product? And maybe we can speak about then. So what I've been sort of trying to do, right? Um, I'm not sure, you know, what treatment guidelines you were given. Typically, you know, they, they may go the drug route, metformin, very common. Um, birth control helps to reduce testosterone levels. Uh, weight loss, very common exercise. But there are sort of a class of supplements that have been extensively studied. And the two big ones are called myo-inositol and dechiro-inositol, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, and so I was looking into this, I want to say late last year, and I looked into it for my women's book and sort of got down a rabbit hole of research as I tend to do. And it sort of was made, I was made aware of the fact that most of the dietary supplements on the market that contain these are incorrectly made. They don't have the proper amounts. They don't have the correct ratios. Um, there's only one I'm actually aware of called ovacetol that, that does, but it only has those two compounds and there's half a dozen others that can be beneficial. So the way my brain works was, okay, if no one else has done this right, I want to sit down and make, you know, the best supplement for helping treatment for PCOS that can be made. Right, I'm very much, if I'm gonna do it, then I wanna do it correctly. So that's kind of what I'm trying to develop in the aggregate is a dietary supplement to use. I mean, obviously with lifestyle changes with other treatments, um, but to help sort of facilitate the improvements. It improves things like insulin sensitivity over time, fertility with diet can increase uh, weight loss, decrease androgen levels. So you get a decrease in some of the negative external symptoms for women that have excess body hair, oily skin, acne. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm aiming at is to basically, I even came across one very interesting paper that pointed out, they looked at 10 current products on the market and said none of them were made properly. 
Like it's it's really appalling to me. Um, so like I said, my sort of my my overarching goal is to make you know the best product available to help PCOS women um, to facilitate them getting towards their goals, whether it be health, body weight, fertility, what have you. Makes sense. And does anyone here do those ingredients or those supplementals? I've heard of inositol. Um, my PCOS was actually diagnosed by a naturopath because GPs kept missing it. Um, and she had me on it for a while. And I can't remember the reason why I went off it, but I think it was, came in a powder form, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, sorry, I'm sorry. And uh, she put me also on, I can't remember the full name, the acronym is NAC. Um, okay. And I think specific grouping of omegas as well i think it's three six and nine yeah yeah um so yeah and the nac i think is to manage um insulin i think or to help along there it's inflammation free radicals it's n-acetylcysteine which is sort of uh, an antioxidant um which probably i mean there's and it is one of them that is certainly involved in this um so absolutely Mm, yeah, because when I came to, I was also pre-diabetic as well, um, as well as overweight and tired all the time. Um, so yeah, but I, I haven't heard of the way that you phrased it. I can't remember. What, what did you call it? Um, well, there's two different ones. There's something called myo-inositol, and then the other one is called decairo-inositol. And I think usually you'll just hear them referred to as the inositols, um, because just I can, I'm, it's familiar here. Yeah, I live. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> have any of y'all been up and put on metformin for treatment? What's what? Uh, I asked if anyone had been on metformin as part of uh, treatment for PCOS. Is that the one to assist the fertility? So that's for specifically for insulin sensitivity. They use it in diabetics frequently. I think it's called fenformin some places. Um, it's another very common, uh, like sort of first first line by more traditionally trained doctors. And it does very similar things to these natural compounds, the one that your naturopath put you on. And interesting to me, the inositols work as well as metformin without the side effects. Metformin often caused gastric upset. And I've got another paper by a researcher that, that basically said we should be using the inositols rather than metformin because it doesn't have the negative side effects, but has all the positives. Um, so. um, I'm actually on metformin, but I take it because I'm diabetic. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I've ever felt the benefits as such of metformin for that because I don't since I got died I was diagnosed diabetic first and then maybe about six months later um I then mentioned to my doctor obviously about the symptoms I was having for PCOS and then that got diagnosed but about six months after I was diagnosed diabetic so um it was I don't actually think I've ever had the benefits of metformin because it's been so heavily relied on for other reasons but I was also um diagnosed as a type one so I was immediately uh, put on insulin and metformin <laughs> and then um, yeah, yeah. Um, in that case I would really expect metformin to, to have much of a role since you're managing predominantly with the insulin 
Um, yeah. Typically, it's used for you know type two, either pre-diabetes, metabolic syndrome, which is part of this, and insulin resistance is present in something like 80% of women with PCOS. It, it's not a diagnostic criteria, but it is one of the, I'd say, major physiological negatives of it because it causes all sorts of problems in terms of health, blood sugar regulation, can make it more, you know, as far as weight loss, fat gain, things of that nature has the whole sort of bunch of knock-on effects. So they frequently give metformin as part of that, but this natural product works as well <clears throat> without the negatives. Okay. What, um, Natalie, hello. Let's see it, let's see it. Hi, I think I was on metformin as well. Is it, do you have to take it? Oh, I can't really remember what I was on, but I had to take one just before my period started. And then I had okay. another one, I think during my period, but a lot of it was to kind of manage the pain because I suffered a lot of pain um, with my period. Oh, interesting, okay. Yeah, um, and I also find this, that was actually when I was a bit younger, um, now, I find I get more pain when I'm ovulating. So I know exactly when I ovulate and what side. Um, okay. <laughs> you see you nodding, you guys nodding, you get the same thing. Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah, you know, Scott. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know exactly what it's like. like. Um, but actually I've been, so yeah, I didn't get a lot of help from the doctors when I was put on the pill. Um, the pill, I, I, can't, I just don't get on with it at all. Um, so I came off it. Um, and then I have been seeing an acupuncturist um, okay. a long time. Um, and I, I don't know if it, it's helping or not. It had definitely helped when we were trying to have a baby. Um, okay. And he, he suggested I take maca. I don't know if you know maca. Yeah. Yeah, because that can kind of regulate hormones and as well. But I don't know. I'm here to learn some more because I didn't. Well, I didn't have yeah. I mean, any answers. <laughs> Um, I, I did a quick little Google search in the back. And so said, there's a whole, I mean, there's a lot going on in PCOS. So you have sort of the underlying issues, you know, cysts, elevated testosterone levels, the, the sort of initial issues with menstrual cycle, but the insulin resistance that occurs, that causes testosterone level to, to increase, which causes more insulin resistance. So that kind of becomes a negative cycle. The elevated testosterone impairs menstrual cycle function. So what metformin is doing by sort of breaking half of the cycle, by improving insulin sensitivity, insulin levels go down. So testosterone levels go down, which helps to reduce insulin levels, which ultimately helps to improve fertility. So that actually was, and by regulating your menstrual cycle, that was probably part or helping to improve its function. That's probably why it was helping with some of the PMS symptoms. By just PCOS, it's very common to either not have a cycle or to have one that can be 35 to 90 days long. There's frequently no way for women to predict <clears throat> if they have PCOS, when they might, they might have a period, when it's going to occur. If you look at women's hormones through PCOS, some days it looks identical to, to sort of a standard menstrual cycle and other days it looks like radiostatic. So there's so many things going on metformin is sort of trying to break this one major cycle with the insulin resistance and 
testosterone levels and insulin resistance, which becomes this, this very negative cycle. And what I'm sort of looking at is very much approaching it the exact same way, just from a dietary supplement approach. Um, since that's kind of what, what the inositols primarily do is break, break that insulin resistance cycle. Um, and the two different ones, the reasons they're in there is again, it's myo-inositol. Myo means muscle. So that's for the muscular issues. The d inositol is specifically for ovarian function. So having some of that in there helps to get the menstrual cycle function more normalized. And this is actually a place where a lot of the products go wrong. Too much of that second compound, too much of the d inositol actually has negative effects on fertility. So when I see some of these products that are just throwing sort of seemingly random amounts into pills or powders, it, it's really baffling to me because some of them are not only not effective, but could actually be having negatives. And, and that to me is uh, absurd in 2021. It seems like we should be able to do better. Yes. Um, that's good. Thanks, Natalie. We'll go around everyone for now to see what's going on. Kirsten, are you off mute there? No, Michelle's here. Um, Gemma Smith. Hello, hello. There we are. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm not bad. Not bad. Talking about the menstrual cycle and stuff again, as always, you know. <laughs> always. <laughs> um, so for myself, um, to be honest, I haven't yet been diagnosed um, with PCOS. Um, I have been back and forth to the GP for a couple of years now. Um, bit of a struggle to kind of yeah get the actual diagnosis um, had kind of the classic symptoms and kind of issues for maybe five or six years um, but yeah not actually had the diagnosis so I just thought I'd kind of join this to see kind of maybe get a bit more information and just kind of see yeah what everyone else's um, kind yeah. of experiences were. So on that note, and I know Scott asked very early on, you know, who, if, if, when, if, if any of you had had difficulty with your diagnosis, PCOS is often terribly either misdiagnosed or not diagnosed. Uh, I know we've had women on the calls before, like, yeah, it took years before it, it occurred to anyone that this might be going on. And part of it is that each of the components of PCOS, the uh, cysts, the elevated testosterone levels, the menstrual, can be caused by other things. So frequently doctors have to uh, eliminate those other situations before they even consider looking for PCOS. Although I've known people, I had a friend years ago, uh, still a friend, but she went on birth control at age 15 and birth control will kind of mask PCOS symptoms. She came off when she got to 50 and, and reached menopause and immediately started having health problems, gained a tremendous amount of weight, went to a traditional GP, he didn't catch it, went to a female, possibly a naturopath, I don't remember specifically, who looked at her and went, oh yeah, PCOS, said there's no, did the right blood work, picked it up immediately, started treatment immediately. It is frequently missed because I think it's not the right, to either the right tests are not being done or the right series of tests to really determine it can, can make it more difficult. And I mean, there's research out there that they ask women with PCOS and a huge percentage are frustrated with getting a proper diagnosis, with getting treatment for the diagnosis, with you know actually getting the help that they need for 
I don't know why. I don't know why that's the case, but it certainly is the case. Would so, Lyle, would someone who potentially like Gemma now who's getting struggling with diagnosis, would she would it be better for her to use a supplement that would improve the symptoms and then would that make it harder to then find out that she's got it? Or, I, I mean, I would some of it would be and like, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to get into your personal business, but what symptoms do you have that make you feel like you have PCOS? Oh, it. It varies um, over the years. It's it's <coughs> at, at the minute, yeah. It's just like everything. Okay. <laughs> just kind of yeah. Just the classic of just kind of menstrual cycle, just stuff. Um, yeah, everything. Okay. Um, fair. I mean, fair enough. Yeah, and and what I would you know it. This isn't sort of what I'm working on, you know, isn't really meant to be a general woman supplement. It really is specific for PCOS. I might, I might approach that, that other one down the road. Um, certainly one issue, I know someone mentioned this with the metformin, I'm sorry, it, you know, that it's hard to really notice sometimes. Some of these things are not the most um, exacting endpoints, but obviously if you have menstrual cycle dysfunction, if you have a long cycle and it starts to normalize, that's pretty objective. Like that's pretty much, okay, my cycle used to be almost random. It's now frequently you see a shortening of, of the cycle just becomes more regular. Like that would be a very objective um, sort of end point like in the sense of if you just took this product out of the blue, like none of it would hurt you. Like there's nothing in there that, that at most it would do probably nothing. Um, but at best you might actually notice differences in terms of you know, better blood sugar regulation, which means you don't get these sort of energy swings throughout the day, appetite be a little bit better controlled. If you're, you know, dieting for fat loss, some of this stuff can sort of uh, increase the amount of fat loss um, in response to a diet. So, so yeah, it's one of those things that if you're pretty sure based on your experiences over the years that you have polycystic ovary syndrome, even if you can't get a proper diagnosis, the worst thing it would do is nothing, but it might very well help you know i'm i'm i am frequently depending on what you're talking about because I, I often don't do diagnostics i can be very much a throw stuff against the wall till something sticks like it's great to do these strict differentials and to figure out it's exactly this problem like you know what i'm just going to tackle it all just going to attack everything and hope something works because sometimes it's just faster that way um so okay yeah good Who's next then? Well, Kat, are you there? Hello. Um, so I've not exactly been diagnosed with it. I mean, I kind of had some of the symptoms. So I went for a blood test and um, some of my hormone levels were really high. Um, so I'm now going for a scan and then going to see an endocrinologist. Okay. Um, just because my, my GP said that she just, it's not her field, so she doesn't really know. So I suppose until further information or when I get results of the scan back, I won't really know exactly. But um, I think one of the hormone levels that were really high was the testosterone levels. So yeah. she, she said it's most likely PCOS, but she's just not 100% sure. Yeah, there, there can. So just, you know, what there, there's multiple, di there's different protocols for diagnosing PCOS. The, the one that 
is mo in most common use is called the Rotterdam criteria because I believe the conference was in Rotterdam. Like that's literally where the name came from. And there's three criteria, which assists on the ovaries, which is probably the scan you're going in for. They'll do a, a, a trans transvaginal ultrasound, elevated mm -hmm. testosterone levels, and then menstrual cycle dysfunction. And the way Rotterdam works is if you have any two of those three, you are diagnosed as positive for PCOS. And yeah, that does mean you can actually have polycystic ovary syndrome without having cysts on the ovaries, which mm -hmm. is a little, but this all goes back to when this was first identified in like 1934. Mm. Women that they diagnosed had all three and it was given this name and, and it's now just realizing that there's four different types and probably a decade from now, they'll, they'll call them all different things. But for right now, it's just, so yeah, the fact that you have one of them, I would say, you know, if, if you've noticed menstrual cycle dysfunction in terms of a long cycle or what have you, yeah. it, won't stun, it won't stun me. Um, you know, it is possible yeah. to not have cysts, but they'll, they'll check for ovulate for either ovulation or your menstrual cycle duration. And so other things can cause elevated testosterone in women, but it's usually like adrenal tumors. Like it's, it's, and that's what they have to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That's what they have to exclude first. That's frequently why this is missed. They're like, oh, well, we saw testosterone. They don't think PCOS first. They go, oh, we got to make sure it's not an adrenal tumor rather yeah. than just check the other two things. So it won't but surprise I, you. Yeah, well, I, um, my cycle is also very irregular as well. So um, yeah. I suppose I took two, two out of three of those boxes. I don't know if it helps, but I have, um, I don't really get the cyst side of it. I do get pains, um, but no one really knows if it's like tiny cysts being made or just average period pains. Um, but yeah, I've got the elevated testosterone disrupted cycle, but yeah. next to no cysts. So yeah, that, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just like I said, it's, it's many. just weird. You can have all three and you can have any combination of the other two. So there is yeah. some women just don't have the cysts for whatever mm -hmm. reason, um, or they're not, I never remember this. It has to be a certain number of cysts above a certain size. And I think it's, it's all like very, 12 cysts on one ovary. And like yeah, that. there's yeah. like a certain size. Um, but that's why they do the ultrasound as to one of yeah. those. But yeah, two, two out of three. And, and what you also see is that the different types have different negative. Wow, Michelle said had one the size of a golf ball. Oh my gosh. Um, get different negatives. Like if you have all three symptoms, that is like the worst set of problems. And then it goes sort of goes down the list. And the fourth, there is a fourth type that doesn't have elevated energy levels, and they tend to have um, the least, excuse me, symptoms. I honestly think they're underrepresented in medical practice, because let's face it, if you don't have any noticeable symptoms, why would you go get checked out? Um, it would be sort of, it would, it would be a very, you, there just wouldn't be any real reason to, but the other one, two, and three subtypes have enough of a, a negative problem due to that elevated testosterone level. That, that drives a lot of this. Um, so lowering that is a big part of the treatment um, one way or another. So, so the supplement lowers testosterone via, you said the insulin resistance route, is it? Uh, yes, that, that's how most, because there is just this cycle 
where elevated testosterone causes insulin resistance. Insulin resistance means you produce more insulin. The elevated insulin levels make women's body make more testosterone. And it's mm -hmm. just sort of this negative cycle. So it's a matter of breaking it from one side or the other. So birth control, which is also commonly used, reduces women's testosterone levels by about 50%. So that's kind of approaching it from the testosterone half is, okay, we're going to lower your testosterone levels so that that's not causing the insulin resistance. Of course, if you are trying to um, get pregnant, going on oral birth control doesn't exactly fix it. <laughs> um, it doesn't really, it may be in the short term to kind of get things. So yeah, most of what I'm working with uh, as far as dietary supplements are addressing the insulin resistance end of it, which has a number of other health benefits, right? There's this huge, uh, I know, at least one of you said, you know, pre-diabetic and other full-blown diabetic. There's a whole cluster of negatives that come with severe insulin resistance, high blood sugar, high blood triglycerides, inflammation. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So breaking even, you know, even attacking the, the insulin resistance side of things has more benefits than just reducing testosterone, but it does that too, which then eventually improves menstrual cycle function. Um, one thing I didn't mention that's also common to PCS, I'll talk about decreased quality of life. There's frequently increased levels of depression, anxiety, binge eating, some of which, I mean, it's hard to pin some of this down, but usually the research talks about some of it can be related to frequently the physical effects. You know, it's not frequently there's sexual dysfunction, which could be hormonal, but if you have an issue, and I'm trying to be very careful in my language, I don't, none of this is meant, this is what the research says. If you have increased acne or oily skin or body hair, and that's affecting your personal perception of yourself physically, that can cause sexual dysfunction on top of everything else going on. So if, sort of, there's this whole cluster of things that comes with PCS, even more than the metabolic effect. So being able to break this cycle and get everything improving, whether it's body weight, some of the elevated testosterone, the physical manifestations, fertility. Because I mean, I realize if you're female and want to have children, being <laughs> what's your doctor say to you? You're never going to have children. Like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> not really, he said, not the most tactful way to approach things, but that is obviously very important for many women. And if this condition, and, and they do, they've looked at IVF and things of that nature and PCOS, but if you can do it and get things sort of back online naturally, um, yeah, Michelle says, mine told me I could struggle. Natalie, my doctor told me the same. And that's not really helpful because a lot of this can be reversed. And, and, and the, even if you do go the IVF route, frequently doing many of these things, using these supplements increases the possibility of it working because frequently IVF doesn't work for various reasons, whether it's stress or whatever. So addressing all of this prior to even going down that road, if that becomes a necessity, it still increases the probability of success. So it, it, it all just sort of becomes a very, a very positive cycle or that's the goal anyway. Yeah. So, so I think what people are going to be wondering, so this supplement, right? What's the research say that it's going to do in terms of like, is there like any numbers on it, like X amount of months you got to do it? And I think while Lyle and me want to work out as well, like what form would you all have to take? Is it powder, like in gummies, like what's going to be 
about like you could talk about? Because I think I, I'd have to really go back and, and look. Usually in the research, what they do, <laughs> I just, I'm smiling. Camilla writes, well, it saved me money on laser hair removal. Right? <laughs> I mean, that, yes, because it does. This, <laughs> if, you're low, if, you, no, if you lower androgen levels, like I know it, it sounds, but it's not. It's a very real question. It, 12 rounds, yeah, is if you maintain elevated testosterone levels, the body hair comes back. It's mask. It's what happens to boys at puberty. And that is part, you can also see the opposite. It's only in a small percentage. Someone with PCOS will experience male pattern baldness because of the elevated testosterone. It's not a large percentage, but to say that is dismissive to the women who do because, or do experience that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing at Kirsten's comment. That's yeah. brilliant. Um, <laughs> So hang on, what was the question? So a lot of times in the research, you know, they'll give this various compounds and they'll, they'll look at the three month mark. They typically don't remeasure. A couple people that are in my Facebook group, it does seem to take about three months to really start to reverse some of these metabolic things. Up to the, um, so it is, this, it, this is a long-term thing, right? This isn't something that you get to take once or take for a week. Like it's probably at least three months, six months might be better. Um, obviously that has to be way, and, and I don't even know how much of a, especially early on, like what you'd notice, right? Now with the three month mark, you feel that your menstrual cycle is coming. I hate to use the word normal, but sort of more of more, regular pattern. Again, it makes everything else sound irregular and abnormal. I don't want to sound like that. Um, but if things are starting to normalize, I guess, eh, whatever, you know, hopefully y'all know what I mean. And yeah. live in America, I have to deal with the language police. So I'm very careful about this stuff. Like I'm that sure. would be noticeable. Blood sugar, you know, if you were starting to have less issues with PMS pain because menstrual cycle function was improving. But it seems like three months is probably the bare minimum. Uh, of regular use before anything would really become too prevalent. Mm, excuse me. Um, and it, it might very well be something, I don't know that it would be forever, right? The, the insulin resistance that occurs in PCOS is very much genetic, right? It's not like what happens to people who are inactive or gay, like it is kind of always there, but it is made worse by everything else. So if a woman with PCOS becomes more regularly active, excess body fat tends to worsen all of this, helps lose body fat. It might come to the point where everything is well controlled enough. Um, that certainly is what happens in type two diabetics is if they become active and lose the excess body fat generally. So I don't know if this is a forever kind of supplement. What I see it as is an adjunct is for women with PCOS who are sort of trying to get things under control for lack of a better word to use during, to just sort of break that negative cycle that's occurring and get a positive feed forward cycle because as things start to improve, they start to improve more because you sort of get that momentum. But I would say a bare minimum of three months. Does that, yeah. is that something that seems too overwhelming or odious or tedious uh, to do on a regular basis? If it gets I, I take um, daily supplements. I've got like little pull boxes, weekly ones for night and day. So mm -hmm. it would just be another one to add to the collection. Okay. Yeah. I, I think my only question would be, do, does it have any contraindications with other medication? 
nothing. I mean, I'd have to really probably look, but certainly nothing I've ever seen come up. Um, it's something that that starts to get so there's so many medications that yeah. I don't know if it's really oh Camille's oh Camille's is not at all easy to add in. Um, okay. That I don't know offhand, but I, I have to look and probably have to know the specific medication, which I know doesn't help very much. That's um, all right. The other thing, so the typical doses uh, of, of the, the two primary compounds, and right, for those of y'all who came in late, what I decided I wanted to do is not only use the two primary compounds, but add like everything else that's been shown to have a benefit, right? Like gonna do it. And, and so there's one compound that I don't think I've ever seen in any product. Some women don't respond to the supplement. It's something like 65 to 75% get the benefit. And one research group was like, well, let's try adding this to it to improve absorption. And it took, suddenly it was like a 95% response rate by just adding 25 milligrams of this one minor. To my knowledge, no one else has put this in there because apparently no one else doing these things is nearly as compulsive as I am. <laughs> and there's a whole lot of other things like NAC, like something called chromium picolinate, which is involved in insulin sensitivity. I had such big folic acid helps. There's just a whole bunch of other stuff that just makes it work better and more effectively. But the consequence of this is that it ends up being about 10 grams of powder per day, right? Now the average pill can hold about one gram of powder. It would be unrealistic. Uh, Natalie, I'll have to look, but I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, she asked about breastfeeding and that's one, not really my area of, of uh, my wheelhouse specifically, but I, I, I'd have to look. Um, most people aren't going to take 10 one gram pills per day. Just that's the reality of it. Yeah. Not on a consistent, not if it's another 10 on top of whatever you're already taking. So my gut says. If, if there's gummies, we probably would. <laughs> but Scott, what's, what's the largest gummy? Like how much, what's the largest amount of supplement you can get in a gummy? I don't know. We could make some big gummies. <laughs> <laughs> big gummies you could make you could make like a like i'm just thinking you could literally make like a pack of gummies like a haribo can you for each day it could be a snack as well at the same time imagine yeah, that. almost it would almost have to be like i don't know if that's five and it also one other thing is it's ideally a split dose so you're actually looking at five grams twice a day which i know can also and again i don't you know don't know different people have different supplement regimens some people want to just take one big batch in the morning some split them, depends on the person. But it would actually be like five grams twice a day. So that might be, again, I don't know what kind of gummy dosages are. Well, does, does the gummies inter, does the gummy slow down the absorption at all? You'd like, know would, better would, than would, I, Yeah, I, but like would, so we add in that compound in to improve absorption, but that was done in a powder no, form. That I don't know, we'd have to ask Ginny. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know enough about gummy technology. I mean, it seems like they're putting, they're putting everything in gummies these days. Um, yeah, it must. It must not impact it. It must not. We we find that out. Would be my, that would be my guess. I think it's just a different way. Well, I mean, once everything kind of gets to the stomach and gets broken down in there, it's either going to get absorbed or not. So the only thing I could think, and again, this would be a question for Jimmy. He's doing. He's the one involved in the manufacturing end of this. Would be does producing the gummy break down any of the ingredients? Does it degrade the ingredients? 
you got, I mean, you got I'm no scientist, obviously. Um, but <laughs> assuming that, not obviously, I could be a rocket scientist for all you, you guys know. <laughs> I'm not. Um, but assuming, though, that to put something into a gummy, to make the gummy, you're having to add in additional things to, to create this gummy. My personal feeling right. would be I would rather a powder form that hasn't then had various other additives and things put into it to create it into something else if that makes sense yeah no i think that yes i think that so i'm just i'm listening but i'm watching the chat and amy adds my friends say weed gummies are as effective as regular weed okay fair enough um camille i personally wouldn't trust the gummy think they look gimmicky all the scammers are doing it. and and yeah to your point you're having to do who know to put other things into it to make the gummy itself and I'll be honest, I don't like gummy anything. I don't like the texture, but that's just me. Um, what, what, I think the direction I was going, pills are really out of the question. It's just too many. People are just, I don't think, going to swallow five one gram pills morning and evening consistently. When I first talked to Jimmy about this, we talked about doing a powder and Ovastatol, which is one of the few products out there that's worth anything. They just cut big, big tub of powder and probably a little scoop. And you just, I assume it mixes in water. Uh, or whatever it is. One idea that was thrown out would be making like, you know, a fruit flavored drink mix, right? Fla then, then yeah, you're adding flavor technology, but I don't imagine it's the same as producing a physical gummy. You're just figuring out a way of flavor. And I don't know what any of this stuff tastes like, quite honestly. Frequently, some supplements are vile. You know, I come from the early days of athletic supplements and you had to choke a lot of it down. It was really, really <laughs> bad. Um, but it's, I'm assuming if this Ovastol, if they can figure out a way to make a powder that's not um, aggressively awful, um, that, it, that well, it can be done. The good thing is, like, Jimmy was working with us now on the, um, on the Clear Way, which is a way hydrolyslate, which is like, you know, the top end stuff, and it tastes amazing. So I'm not thinking maybe there yeah. is a... Maybe there's a way to have a 10 gram dose of high quality protein alongside it. But then again, it's another mixture of not yeah. sure it shouldn't impact it really, shouldn't it? I will find that. Yeah, that, that stuff is beyond me. Yeah. Um, and then really the next question that came up, so I said, ideally it should be taken twice a day, or at least that's what they do in the studies. I'll have to look for all I know. You can't just take it all at once. Um, the question then becomes, okay, would you prefer just a big tub of powder that's obviously not terribly convenient, can't be really easily transported? We talked about the idea of doing like individual packets, right? Like, so over here, we have, y'all Crystal Light over there or some sort of like flavor. It's just a flavor Stevia, drink. Stevia? Mix, right? you, sorry? We've got Stevia. That's a, as a sweetener. We've got this drink mix that comes in a powder like this. And you pour it in a in a jug and mix it up, and you just get like fruit, sugar-free fruit fruit flavored stuff. I guess Jimmy had said that you know doing basically pour it in a glass of water, mix it up. It's like drinking a glass of lemonade, sugar-free, like something or whatever fruit flavors are popular right now. Um, um, that seems better from a convenience standpoint. That way, if you're traveling, if you're out, you know, you pack however many packets or sachets or put one, you know, in purse, briefcase, handbag, whatever it is you're carrying so that you can do one in the morning when you wake up. Do y'all have any sort of sense of 
tub versus individual sachets? Uh, Christina says, yeah. I would personally, I work for an environmental charity. I would prefer a tub. I feel that the disposable, non-environmental friendly impact of individual sachets that are going into plastic waste would not be a preference of mine. I'm kind of like, do you know what? We, we live in a world where a tub, everyone's got Tupperware that they can put 10 grams of something in to take with them. Um, so if there was a choice, I would have a preference that it was a sustainable product, but that's just a personal thing. And honestly, yeah. when Jimmy first mentioned that, that was my first thought was, while even the convenience is often is going to be offset, like, uh, do y'all have the Keurig coffee maker over there, the one that uses the little individual coffee Balls. thing? Yeah. The yeah, similar created, stuff. The guy who created that has completely disowned it. He is so disturbed by how much waste that machine is making. He is complete, he is so angry at himself for even inventing it for exactly the reason you're talking about. And I did, that was my first thought, both from a real world standpoint, because I do, I mean, this, I recycle all the time, but also many people are concerned about that in the modern era, even from a marketing standpoint. And I know that's the wrong, re but if, if you do the right thing for the wrong reason or the wrong thing for the right reason, you know what I mean? <laughs> being able to say that we're not destroying the environment that would be however i think jimmy said that they now have biodegradable sachets yeah, yeah. i was just gonna say from like a traveling standpoint it's not always easy to get through airport security with just you know white none of us are going <laughs> anywhere at the moment where are we you are traveling to when did you go amy we're going. <laughs> We're optimistic. We will go somewhere. Um, interestingly, and I'm not our environmental manager at work, um, a lot of products that say they are environmentally friendly and biodegradable, a lot of them actually aren't. Um, yeah, all that go into a very specific environment in a very specific area to actually degrade. Okay. Yeah. And, and this is something like I don't know. Said All I know about is the individual compounds. Everything else, like that's Jimmy, that's manufacturing. I would probably need to know, you know, I'm glad y'all brought that up. Are these really biodegradable or are they kind of biodegradable? Um, you know, and I don't know, as I'm just spitballing ideas, like, okay, so you have this product that just comes with a little container, a little plastic snappable, you pour your powder out, stick that, it's recyclable. I mean, you just use the one. Maybe, you know, that's the option. Clearly people do RA to use such products um, or put it in a thing of Tupperware, put it in a little plastic baggie and just well, reuse it. Like we've come across this discussion with our protein powder we're bringing out. So we're doing cardboard tubes and then we're going to bring out um, like a jar that's going to be recyclable as well that people can have just this mm -hmm. jar to put the part. They can then just buy um they can refill that comes there and refills as opposed to buying a new tub all the time as well oh yeah okay. so cardboard tubes is probably the what we found anyways like fully recyclable it's legit like it is recyclable it's not so are you talking about like little plastic tubes that you just pour the powder in and take with you yeah so you can basically but the thing is inside the cardboard tubes you have to have um a protective recyclable material as well so, is it like a barocca tube don't know. Nah, because that, that, that does that come with something inside it, like a. No, graphic. it's just cardboard, I think. Um. Yeah. So, what we the only thing we can do inside is a recyclable material. So 
but then you can send it without the tubes in a recyclable bag. So yeah, it would literally yeah. arrive like a bag. But you, if you know what the product is, and you trust that bag of white powder in the post. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely take that on the plane. There's actually there's a protein company here called True Protein that has started doing that. Like rather yeah. than sending, like they just send you a bag with yeah. a big scoop. And I don't know if they're doing it so you can send it back in to have it refilled, but they are certainly- That's a good idea. Just send, doing what send they, it back. Yeah. yeah, doing or it may, you know, something, whatever. First, first purchase, you get the tub with powder. From that point on, you simply get a bag that you pour in the tub so that it's not, you know- Yeah, there's, there's some companies here that do that. I can't remember what they sell or what they're called, but you get your kit. Um, which costs, I don't know, let's say 25 pounds. And then it's like a subscription. Your next order, you get five pounds off if you send the container back. Mm. No, that's brilliant. Yeah, um, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, we work on that angle, but basically the, the verdict is powder form in a decent tub that would needs to last like three months, obviously, at minimum. Do you know what I mean? Is I it a point buy in a monthly, monthly subscription? No. Like if it's not going to work for a month? How, well, no, actually that's because I guess a month's worth would be 300 grams, which isn't much. No. Uh, yeah. So I guess, I guess, I mean, actually, yeah, I mean, whatever I've bought, I've bought a kilo of creatine powder and it's, you know, it's a tub, yay big. So yeah, yeah I guess actually for some reason, I just think of supplements as coming in a month supply for no, re for no really good reason, quite honestly. Marketing's got you. The marketing's got you. That's just how my brain works. But yeah, actually that makes, yeah, I mean, a kilo's worth of powder in a single container that could be sent back in or what have you would be three months plus a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And then a metal, and then a metal scooper. So you'd have to, you'd get one free metal scooper. Then if you lose it, you'd have to pay for another metal one, but you should only have one scooper, not plastic scoops. I mean, I have to imagine, I don't know how much powder 10 grams or even five grams actually is. I'm sure because like with my creatine, I don't get a scoop. They're just like, do well, we have tea. We have, we, I'm in America. We have ridiculous measures. Um, <laughs> you know, you do a teaspoon, which is literally what it kind of sounds like. It's just a little, and you just scoop that much. And that's five grams of powder, what have you. Um, not an exact, it wouldn't give you an exact dosing, but mm. if you're off by half a gram, it's not like it's going to, stop working or not work or do bad things, you know, as long as you're not under overdosing severely in the long term. So, okay. No, yeah. That's good. Very good information, actually. What I'd like to know is like all of you, if you would kind of want to do, would take three to six months. What are there any concerns that would pop into your head if you were reading about this product? What's the first things like, boom, too good to be true. Like, do you want to see the read? You know, how much, how much of the research do you want to see? Um, does it need a female, well, need a female lead, maybe, you know, even, it's like, do you know what I mean? It, would, it needs, yeah, a female voice of someone who can actually, I mean, it's great what you guys are doing, but someone who has actually <laughs> experienced it and can oh. re relate to it. Um, I think everyone's different, but you're going to have people that are going to want to see some stats, so some actual impact and measure, like so some clear defining start points. But about whole thing, I think someone just put in the chat, do I trust it? But also 
being quite transparent and being quite clear that this isn't a fix for everything and this isn't a fix for everyone and it might work but it might not work but that that security of well I've got nothing to lose if it doesn't do anything but I've got something to gain if it does so just that that clear messaging on um the delivery I guess and the result right well I'm a huge believer in transparency one of the first things I talked about with Jimmy like I don't like products that have proprietary blends which means they're not telling you what's in it in what amounts because usually it's the wrong things in too little amounts to matter. So like, I, you know, and I've got all the research is in humans, it's tested on PCOS. Like no, no study has looked all of these in conjunction. It tends to be pulling from individual papers, all of which have shown some benefit. Um, and then just kind of putting them all, sort of just to, in a sense to cover all the bases. Um, the inositol still are the primary compounds and everything else either improves their function, improves their absorption, uh, or what have you to just make them work better. Um, I certainly agree about, you know, having a women's voice, it's it's great for me and Scott to talk. I mean, I'm, I'm glad Scott knows when he's ovulating. Um, I've never, for me, it's never been sure. Um, but yes, trust me, I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, yeah, so Cam yeah, so Camilla, I, I want to do the PubMed research as never have before on it. See, that's I would simply provide that. This is I've got all the studies, I've got all the links. Part of it for me, whether that's in a booklet, whether that's online, would be to provide, look, here is all the backing literature in human models, in women with PCOS, with measurable endpoints. Like I don't like, I don't like mouse studies, I don't like rat studies, I don't like theoretic like. I'm a big believer, I come from the science end of things. So to Camille like that, I would provide that to that as part of my, my belief that I want the information out there. Um, Kirsten asked, you know, timeframe when she should see results. Fortunately, it seems like three months is about the bare minimum, three to six months. And it would certainly be something that if, if a woman had not noticed any, any measurable benefit, regardless of what it is for them, whether it's you know mood, blood sugar, menstrual cycle function, I would probably conclude that it's not going to work for them, right? I'm definitely not a, oh no, just give it three more months. I, I find that very intellectually disingenuous. No, oh no, you got to give it time to work. In no study can I think of for the women it was going to work in, it never took more than six months. And many saw benefit at three. Usually it's like some percentage of women at three, the grand majority at six. There's always a percentage that doesn't, and I'd have to look to see why that's the case. Um, Amy asked, how do women know what baseline measurements to look at? I'll, don't let me forget to come back to that. Um, so yeah, but I'd be like, yeah, if you haven't noticed anything in six months, whether it's personal or you went and got blood work, you know, serial blood work and nothing's changed, it's not for you. And, you know, that, that's the reality of it. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if in the research, because they don't usually delineate subtypes, even though we know there's four different levels of PCOS that can occur, they rarely differentiate that. In the, so, so it may very well be that one subtype of women, it's the, the, for whatever reason, their symptoms are too strong, regard, you know, whatever, it's not going to work for them. I don't, to my knowledge, no one has really looked at that to see what, if it's more beneficial for specific subtypes. Um, 
So hang on, uh, I'm gonna do these reverse because Christine is easier. What about effects in other medical conditions such as diabetes as it can be linked? Oh no, it will absolutely improve that. Um, PCOS and diabetes go hand in hand. PCOS often leads to type 2 diabetes down the road. By improving the insulin resistant endemic to PCOS, it will help stave that off, if not decrease the risk completely. So absolutely, it, it really, what I'm trying to do is target all of the negatives of PCOS, which is the insulin resistance, the elevated androgen levels, the menstrual cycle dysfunction, any of the psycho psychological issues that can frequently be present that are often related to the other effects, um, fertility, to mood, health, all of that. It, the goal is to target the, because there, there's just this, this clause. So I don't know about cystic acne because I know that's involved in a whole lot, but certainly the elevated androgen levels is at aim. Uh, the elevated androgen levels in PCOS are not helping. If, if women are prone to cystic acne, that's actually something that even like males who take steroids may get, some women who take that, because if you get that cystic acne trigger, the elevated testosterone levels will certainly worsen it. And I don't know if cystic acne specifically has been measured, but they, I do believe these products have shown a decrease in acne score, body hair. They use the Ferris Galloway scale, Ferriman Galloway scale, something like that. And they do see measured differences there. So would it specifically get cystic acne? I'd have to look. Um, but by decreasing the testosterone levels, it should help. In, on, you would still need you know, the other acne treatments, whether it's Accutane, whether it's topicals, antibiotics, what have you, but I would certainly expect it to help. Um, so far as your earlier question, how do women know what baseline measurements to look at, if any? Unfortunately, some of these are really, it, it would have to be like clinically measured. I think probably one of the easiest is if you have an irregular menstrual cycle or any sort of menstrual cycle dysfunction, that will improve. Um, there's a person in my Facebook group who used an early, used one PCOS cell and got nothing out of it. Used this Avocetol, which is one of the few that's made properly. And three months later, there was both, I think, a shortening and a greater regularity in her menstrual cycle. And that is something that is objective, that it can be measured. Um, certainly things like body hair, acne, oily skin are a little subjective. And even in the studies, when I read them, they're like, oh yeah, doctor looked at a chart and said, uh, body hair was here and now it's here. It's a little vague to me. It's a little, <laughs> it's like when I read cellulite studies and it's always the people selling the product, evaluating the people going, oh yeah, that looks better. Yeah, that's not really science. Um, but certainly things of that nature, mostly related to menstrual cycle function with improved insulin sensitivity, I would expect better blood sugar regulation, appetite regulation. Um, certainly over time, some of the androgen related negatives, acne, body hair, et cetera, would improve. Um, and I know one thing Scott and I talked about was I guess sort of uh, connecting this with either some sort of you know, app or website or forum that would have, you know, okay, Let's track these numbers. Let's go ahead and get some baseline measurements that can then be monitored and tracked. Whether it's just menstrual cycle function, whether it's mood, these are things that you probably have a better, uh, well, obviously you have the most experience with 
to be able to track that, okay, previously every 38th day things would happen and now I'm tracking it and now things have changed or gotten better, less PMS pain because menstrual cycle function, less cramps, less mood swings, whatever it is. So are some of these subjective? Sure. But I think certainly a list of some of the baseline stuff that you're working with, an OBGYN, an endo, naturopath, uh, women's health, whatever it is, they could certainly do serial blood work to measure fasting glucose, fasting insulin, measuring your androgen levels. Those should be, impro those, those should be improving mm. um, on top of any other health markers, elevated triglycerides, cholesterol, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there are some objective measures that can be taken at, at baseline. Um, That's good. And then what about um, like pricing and stuff for someone? What would you expect to, to pay or would you think is fair to pay for something like that, like a three months amount? Tough question. Because it needs to be, because obviously like we're going to go up we are going to use cardboard recycling tubes and make sure all our stuff and get all the ingredients. I don't think well, Jimmy's Jim, um, you'll speak to Jimmy soon as well. He's got his own manufacturing in the UK. He does it for like professional sports teams, like England football and stuff like that. So it's coming from that top end place. Um, just going to make a fair pricing. Cause Lyle, I think what we spoke about was like having, if any of you wanted to try it, then we would, we would run it with you lot. And then, see if it would improve anything. And then maybe after that, you would be able to see the value of it. I think my, uh, my only experience of more, I guess, premium supplements is with Solgar. And I've always found yeah. them to be a bit pricier because you get a month's worth of supplements at a time, really. And I've never been 100% sure if they are actually premium or if they're just capitalizing on that market. They're one of the few brands I actually remember from childhood right up until now in my 30s. So they've been around for ages. Um, but I do think the more you buy in bulk, the less you should probably be paying. So Absolutely. I kind of, I would have that expectation of if I'm buying a three month supply, then it should be probably cheaper per month than one month supply. Yeah. And I think also that thing of, highlighting people will probably be prepared to pay more people are getting a bit more savvy and so highlighting why this is the actual only option out there for example you can go to a shop and buy a paracetamol for 15 pence or you can go and buy a branded paracetamol which ingredient wise is exactly the same for three pound fifty so it's it's demonstrating to the buyer that this this is actually what it is that makes it stand out and, and what it is that um is is making it that potentially that more of a premium when it comes to the price yeah yeah to this to amy no i absolutely agree I, and this is one of the things that certainly in the sports supplement industry but i've seen bulk powders right if you know you're going to use something you can either pay, you know, to get a kilo in a small bag. Like one of my, an athlete of mine uses uh, collagen just to make sure her joints stay healthy with all the heavy lifting is, yeah, we can get a kilo, which is a very small bag for such and such a price. But if we order a 10 kilo bag, it is 10, 15, 
less than ordering 10 single bags. If for no other reason, that, I mean, let's face it, a lot of what you're paying for is the expense of the packaging, right? You're pay, you're pay, it's, like, it's like buying soda in cans or sodas in bottles versus sodas in a big bottle. What you're really paying for is the plastic. The, the soda itself is three cents worth of syrup. You're paying for the plastic in the bottle. Obviously, having one larger bottle that's a kilo that's three months worth absolutely should be cheaper because you're not having to pay that production cost. So yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah. And it just, and I also agree that there are supplements. Now, Solgar has been around forever. They've, I, 30, 40 years. I do trust them as a product. I don't honestly know if they're overpriced. I also trust now, which is, I don't know if they have that over. I, I trust products that have been around, companies that have been around for 10 or 15 years or longer than that. A lot of fly yeah, by night. I'm, I'm the same, I, but I'm the same because, um, you know, you tend to think if a company's been around for so long, there must be a reason why. Sure. Um, I but I know with, yeah. oh, sorry, you go, go ahead. ahead. Um, uh, I, I know say, now yeah. so much information being available online. Sorry. <laughs> Um, no, it's okay. I remember when I was looking for vitamin D3 supplements, um, and I know Amazon's probably the worst example because, you know, they're technically evil, but yes. I looked at Solgar ones and a bottle of 120 capsules was about, I think, 26 pounds. And I looked at a few other brands on Amazon and for the exact same ingredients with the exact same measurements was probably about 12 pounds. So I was yeah. like, hmm, I think I'm going to go for the cheaper one because, you know, I'm not a millionaire. Well, well go on. There, there's a new product, uh, somebody, uh, a friend of mine, she's had severe PMS symptoms for years called Flow. You've probably gotten started Facebook ad for it. And it's PMS, beautiful ad copy. Their website is brilliant. And it's extremely expensive. And there are, I mean, lots of... Uh, positive testimonials, positive reviews, women love it, but it is absolutely targeting sort of the high end of supplements for people that sort of think, oh, more expensive is better. My friend did, did the research, went and looked at the science to see, okay, and it looked valid enough, went and found another company now, which is just very similar to Solgar, they've been around for decades, and found essentially the same product, 30, 40, 50% cheaper easier. This company is certainly, and there is, it, there is a tendency, y'all know this better than I do, to take products and when they market them to women, which means make them pink, give them a very sonorous name, very no hard consonants, lots, you know, things of that nature, mark it up by 25%. Here in the U.S., they call it the pink tax. I mean, maybe they call it, you know, women's, women's razors are men's razors from a year before, that are pink and red. I was just thinking of the Venus pink razor. And they're more expensive. For shaving so foam, women's shaving foam. It's like, it's the same thing. <laughs> I always exactly. buy the men's. I am yeah. not doing it. It's crazy. Um, but they're, and I mean, they, they now have, you know, women's proteins. And usually you get a very small container, like one pound. You know, I buy, when I buy protein powder, I get whatever pound, about half kilo. I buy mine, you know, two and a half kilo. If I'm going to use them, I'm getting, I'm getting the dog food bag. And it's easily 30% more for that, that half a kilo of protein powder than you would pay at 
on Amazon, yes, technically evil. Costco, which is our bulk food supply, I don't know if it's if it's uh, infiltrated over there, but they are sort of appealing to that. Oh, this is a woman's protein. It's just protein powder. It's all coming. Sony made a joke about whey protein up up earlier in the chat. All these proteins come from the same manufacturers for the most part. It's just a matter of what label you slap on it. So true protein sells in bulk because they don't do a lot of marketing. You basically get a blank plastic bag. If you want to put it in a fancy women's specific tub, that's a 30% markup for what is an identical product to what you pay from either. Kirsten, I'm a sucker for a purple aloe Venus rose. Yeah, but the aloe is nice. Doesn't scrape you up so bad. Um, well, do you know um, Amazon are putting out a new um, examine posted it today about uh, regulation on uh, supplements on Amazon. They have to be certified and stuff by a certain factory. So you're going to see okay. 95% of Amazon supplements disappear overnight. They're all going to go and be gone because they just, yeah, like you said, they get them from like, these bullshit shit suppliers. Uh, on the on the on the marketing front, then, like, what what kind of branding would you all like to see? Would you like to see like clinical branding, white, like pharmaceutical, or would it be preferred to just be like, you know, pink? <laughs> you know, um, like would it just something be... friendly and approachable that speaks like how we're speaking here? No yeah. medical jargon. I don't. Like I get so put off when I see something that's effectively um, a pamphlet you'd get inside your, I don't know, antibiotics box. So I'm like, I don't understand any of this. I'm not going to read anymore. Um, yeah. Whereas if it's someone who I would perceive to be an older, wiser, I don't know, maybe a more female version of Scott and Lyle <laughs> talking to me, then I'd be more inclined to pay attention to it. Yeah. yeah, have you seen? I really like the um, style, and the, I don't like pinky stuff for girls. It drives me insane. It's just yeah. pointless. Um, but nothing too medical. But the style and design of, of um, a skincare company, which I use, called The Ordinary, which is part of I the Destiny. And it's just no nonsense. It's like this is what it is. This is what's in it. I feel like I've got a little chemist lab. It's exciting, um, but. It's affordable because they've not that they're, they're they're selling their product based on what their product can do, based on what's in it, not on selling the illusion around it. Mm. And they're hugely successful. And I think um personally for me, bought by Estee Lauder, I think. Yeah, it's just a yeah, they have actually. It's a it's a good I like their marketing or lack of and I like their product because it it is what it is. It's quite sciencey, but it's got explanations behind it that makes it feel like you're not being baffled by the science right and that, that, that to me that goes to the transparency do i want to have the scientific backing for every claim i'm making absolutely do i want to try to confuse people with jargon absolutely not because nor do i want it to be a marketing thing that makes promises it can't i, I think in 2021 we are beyond the point where marketing can simply rely on this is awesome because i have a great app right? That doesn't fly anymore in 2021. That's why Amazon reviews. People will go and look and go, okay, what are people actually saying about this? Assuming they're real. That, you know, that's of course different issue, but the olden days of just having a really cool commercial to convince people, I think is over at least for a certain portion of the population. 
that are, oh, this sounds utterly elitist, but I can't think of any better way to put it, but are just that are a little bit, um, not educated is not the right word, but simply more sophisticated in, in the sense of, look, I've done this, I've done the BS, I've bought the pretty that didn't work. Now, show me, show me, give me the research, give me the data in a way I can understand so that I can make an informed choice. And trust me, all about that. Um, for anybody that cares, I posted a link to uh, the Avocetol. It's a very plain, I don't think I can put images here. Oh, no, wait, hang on, I can do this. Well, I could if Scott would let me screen share. Oh. I'll let you in now on this screen sharing. There we are. There we go. So that's the Ovastol packaging. This is the one product that actually sort of uses the right ingredients. And it seems like it's it's similar to what many of y'all are describing that it's, you know, it's fine. Ovastol, it's a nice, it's got ova for ovarian for egg, it's got ostol, I could get that. It's scientific looking without being ridiculously so. Um, it seems like that's, let me pull up this link. Uh, to the ordinary that, that you seem to be describing. Yeah, that's good. I like it. I think I, I'm trying to find a now. We got an, some new branding for, we some new branding guidelines for our turtle brand as well. It's like more of a mature colors. So We nail it. Okay, so plain, bold, mature, colors, nice, clear, basic. Happy days. Do you reckon? Hmm? Am I supposed to be saying something? No, no. I mean, it does have some good. So we go, you, you're on the same wavelength as clear, plain, plain yeah. packaging, good. straight to the point. Because one thing I do think, like, like, like I said, flow, I get what they're aiming at. It's a very more of a, a gen pop overall. Okay, women, PMS sucks. And like, again, their ad copy is brilliant to me. I looked over that. I'm like, oh, yeah, they hired, you know, where it's they got a woman giving the finger, you know, F-U-C-K, PMS. Like, I get it. Their targeting is absolutely brilliant. I have a feeling women with PCOS, because of the nature of it, by and large, aren't gonna fall into that population. Usually like the one, you know, uh, the discussion we're having have been diagnosed have got, because it's more than PMS symptoms. It's infertility. It's these major, 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 major issue issues. Like I get it, PMS can be debilitating. So I think not, I think doing maybe a picture of a monkey on the front, I'm down. Trust me, monkeys have been my thing for years. Somebody knows me. Um, Kirsten says pink is tacky, don't. Don't look to cover my book, you'll hate it. Um, it's bright pink and everybody, I like it. Um, hang on, I'm looking at the ordinary. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean, it's very plain. It, it looks, there, there's a product in Canada. It's this generic, it's a white can, says food. It's white can, says beer. It's, they have this generic brand. Uh, it's hilarious to me, but the, the ordinary looks almost like that where it's just, okay very plain level. They're obviously selling scientific products. I see, you know, vitamin C and niacinamide and yeah. And I imagine they're a very science-based 
um, company in terms of the products they're selling. That makes sense to me for targeting or for branding rather and, and packaging. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I think we got enough information. Everybody, Absolutely. thanks everybody. I think we'll, um, you're gonna be along this journey by the way. So you're gonna be revolutionaries. You're gonna be part of it all. So you're gonna help pick the packaging. You're gonna help pick the branding and stuff like that as well. Um, if you want to, obviously. So yeah, like the next phase is to get some samples at a margin or like enough for everybody to try. Yeah, then, I, the, the, big, the big one to me, I think, I mean, I come from an athletic background. I choked down some stuff in the 80s. Oh, God, it was terrible. Oh, the protein bars. Oh, the drink mixes. They were awful on every single level. They tasted, the, don't ever get banana flavored anything. It's just the worst. Um, but yeah, I think if, if this is going to be something to mix in a drink to be taken twice a day, it's absolutely <laughs> It's absolutely going to have, uh, I'm laughing at Kirsten's emojis, dusty, oh, dusty banana. It's going to have to be very palatable, um, whatever fruit flavor or whatever. I think what Jimmy said is currently, the current trend or fad is kind of light fruit flavors for summer. Like, yeah, I'm off chocolate, vanilla, plain, but that's for protein powders. That to me seems, for people that love chocolate, great. For people that hate chocolate, I don't know what's involved making different flavors or any of that sort of thing. Um, but that's something I guess can be talked about the next time. Yeah, we'll get some flavor samples out first and then we'll go into a three month thing once the flavors are done. And happy days. I think, yeah, the flavor. Good to know if there's an option for a flavorless one. Because personally, oh, yeah. I yeah. quite often find fruity flavors really false and sickly tasting. And so actually, if it was just something that tasted of nothing in my water, that would sell it for me. That would be even better. I mean, that's like, I got no, you know, or that way it can be mixed into things, certainly, um, or taken, oh, yeah, just <laughs> taken straight for people who just don't want flavored stuff. That's actually a really good idea, whether it's an option or just the, the choice. Yeah, colorless as well. Um, a lot of brands... Well, my protein use artificial colorings, which are not good. Like, so they'll make them bright and pink and stuff. So we could literally say, look, it's going to look like shit. It's going to look like a cloud <laughs> in your drink, but it's got no added colorings or flavoring, no artificial stuff. So that might be a, a, a route to go down. Actually, maybe green element. I was thinking something that's healing. You feel it should be green. I mean, that's no green is the color of life. That actually, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Green. Everyone loves green. Yeah. Happy days. So yeah, we get to work in. And then you lot are gonna get the samples and then go from there, really. But yeah, Lyle, anything else you need to know you want to know or anyone else got questions? I think actually just one thing is that came up is you know, if there were flavor technology, obviously you have to deal or worry about the sweetener. And that be can become very much a very individual choice, whether you go with, you know, what sweetness, Stevie I know is very natural. Someone I know is using monk fruit, um, yeah. which I, uh, yeah, it tells me it's delicious. Doesn't have that little, Stevie's got a little bit of aftertaste for some people. Uh, it's not cheap yet, but um, yeah, she's using monk fruit powder as a sweetener, loves it. 
that's getting away from the aspartames. I don't even know if they use saccharin anymore, but things of that nature that I know will put people off. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, if keeping it unflavored helps to eliminate that possibility, then that, even that might, like, what, what are y'all's feelings about artificial sweeteners in the aggregate? I'm, I'm not adverse to them because I know the studies have been taken way out of context. Um, sure. It effectively looks at something that's the size of an ant eating this much aspartame. Yeah. And then, of course, the ant's going to get sick and die. Like, it's a given. Um, yeah. So I, I'm not adverse to it. I just don't, I can't remember which one it is. I just don't like the one that has a laxative effect. Yeah, that, yeah. that's uh, like the sugar alcohols, erythritol yeah. and sugar and same thing. When I, I don't think it's bad. I was just going to say I had a bad experience with Haribo sugar-free. Never again. There is a Spot classic on. review on the Amazon website to, that you should go look up about exactly the Haribo sugar-free gummy bears. Somebody ate an entire large bag and they paid a very severe price for it. <laughs> I would too. If I, if I mistakenly buy like one of those low carb protein bars that uses sugar alcohols, oh, it's bad. It's, it's a bad, bad, bad day. So, um, so, yeah, Lucy, I do too. I drink, I'm, I'm not a, artificial sweeteners don't bother me, but I know many people, even if they, you know, many people know, oh, it's a dose thing, but for many people, it is a, just, just seeing it on the label. It, yeah. Again, that's, that is sort of a marketing thing, but that is the reality of the world we live in. And if leaving that off, using an all natural sweetener or making it unflavored avoids that, I see that as a good thing. Um, yeah. Certainly, you got IBS, yeah, you don't want anything bad for your gut or your poo. <laughs> we'll try. IBS, tricky, man. Well, yeah, that's good. Happy days. Yeah. Uh, anyone else got anything to add or we, we, uh, we good? Um, I just have one question. So I'm on the contraceptive pill to manage cystic acne. Would it be ideal for me to come off that? I'm sorry, what did you say you're using currently? Oh, sorry, con uh, con contraceptive pill. I'm just yes. wondering if I should come off it. Okay. Um, well, basically having the same effect. So what oral contraceptives are doing is just cutting testosterone levels in half mm. to, to help manage that. Um, cause they often they'll use anti-androgens. Spironolactone is another very common drug of choice, which can cause some funky water issues, but I'd have to I look at my eyelashes and eyebrows fall out. I had spironolactone. Yeah. Um, and cause that blocks the testosterone receptor yeah. directly. Um, so I'd have to look at the exact numbers. Oral contraceptives reduce testosterone by about half. Um, I don't know off the top of my head but I was actually looking in the background while I was listening and uh, one of the papers, um, sufficiency of myelinositol in the treatment of cutaneous disorders in young women. Um, but but uh, uh, myelinositol administration, simple and safe that amel ameliorates the metabolic profile of patients with PCOS, reducing body hair and acne. So it definitely has an effect and my very, but I have to look and see how much it reduces testosterone compared to oral birth control, but it has absolutely been shown to reduce those effects. So it might very well allow you to transition. Um, okay, yeah. Because there, there's other effects where the high insulin levels, 
unbind testosterone. It's, it's like 99% of testosterone is attached to a binding protein and high insulin levels cause it to come up, come off of that, which means it has a bigger effect by lowering insulin. So you not only have higher total testosterone, but what's called higher free testosterone, the, the, the stuff that's actually active. Not only would this lower total testosterone by reducing insulin levels, it lowers free testosterone. Oral birth control, mm -hmm. the same thing. But it is again, by, by fixing the insulin resistance, that reduces androgen levels and everything related to that tends to yeah. improve. Okay. So All it's right. quite possibly. Um, Updates. There we are then. We good? good? Appreciate everyone's time, obviously. Yeah, late one, so and it's good. But um, yeah, we'll be in touch from the chat soon. So we let you, I will let you all know. Won't be too long. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.